We're continuing our series on 2020 vision, and uh, I've been excited about what God is teaching me as I study and I prepare. Most of you realize this. If you don't, let me uh, assure you that the pastor has to spend a lot of time allowing the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God to preach to his own heart before he can preach to others. And God has been teaching me a lot as I've been preparing these messages on vision and this current uh, part of the series, we've been looking at ministry vision, and we've broken that down into a vision for servanthood, and I pray that last week uh, you got a little glimpse of what it means to be God's servant, make yourself available to him. That's the attitude that's necessary if we're going to embrace these other aspects of ministry. We've got to come to the Lord first and foremost, acknowledging that he is Lord and that we are his servants in this world. And with that servanthood attitude, anything else is possible by the grace and the power of God. Now I want us today to transition into the idea of stewardship. Stewardship. So if you'll take your Bibles, let's turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, and as we're standing this morning, we're going to read beginning with verses 11 through 27. This is a parable that Jesus shared to remind those who were hearing him that they needed to be stewards during this time between the resurrection and ascension of Christ until the second coming of Christ. It says, now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. He said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little. Have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. So why didn't you... Why did you not at least put my money in the bank that it might, that at my coming I might have collected interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said, Master, he has ten minas. Then he goes on to say, For I say to you, everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Father, we do thank you for 
this reminder, this parable of stewardship. And I pray that we would realize that those common things that you have blessed us with, that we are to invest for your glory, that we would be found faithful as servants and stewards of King Jesus when we stand before you one day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I realize that it's not always a popular thing for pastors to speak about stewardship. At the same time, I also realize that uh, there are a lot of pastors who will kind of pick this subject matter and preach on stewardship all of the time. Well, I'll make a little promise with you this morning. I'm not going to promise that if you will pay a lot of money for an anointed prayer cloth or if you will uh, uh, give a seed faith gift that God's going to give you 100 or 1,000 times whatever you handed this preacher into the service. I'm not going to give you an address or put an address on the screen where you can uh, feed hungry children, namely mine, um, so that uh, that that seed will grow in, in your own life. But I will seek to do what I do with every subject we touch on in the Word of God, and that is just expound to you what God says on the subject of stewardship. Those who are members here and have been a member, members a long time know that I'm not an issue preacher. I don't pick subjects like, um, let's say, uh, abortion or the homosexual agenda or money or anything else and say, that's my issue that I'm going to harp on. God's called me to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God, and so I touch on those subjects as we come to those subjects, either through a book study or a systematic study of various topics that the Lord wants us to be sure that we are discipled in and equipped for in life. But I will say this, Jesus talked as much about money as he did anything. And preaching on stewardship is kind of like going to the doctor, or hearing a sermon is kind of like going to the doctor. If you go to the doctor... And the doctor begins to push and, and, and prod, and, and uh, you know, I don't know why they like to poke that hand deep in your abdomen, but they're trying to find out if something's wrong. But if they begin to push, and they begin to prod in various areas, and all of a sudden, you feel some pain, and you go, ow, then that either means one or two things. He was not very gracious and sensitive in the way that he was exploring, or... It means that he has found something, that he has hit on something. So I will do my best as a pastor to touch on the subject of stewardship graciously, but I want to say this, more than likely, if it is painful for us to hear it, if something makes us kind of go, whoa, ow, that's, that hurts, then maybe it's not the pastor preaching on stewardship, it's the Holy Spirit of God that's speaking something into your life. And the good thing is, it's the same Holy Spirit that brings the, the discomfort, the conviction would also bring the healing who brought us the truth and will give us the application of that truth. The goal this morning is not to increase, increase church offerings or to get a better response for the sign-ups over here for Family Fun Festival or for the ministry placement team. The ultimate goal is health, is that we be as healthy as believers and as healthy as a church as God would have us be. Now, in Luke's gospel, you begin to notice the theme. The key verse to the gospel is in Luke 19 and verse 10, which interestingly comes right before this text. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is the concluding statement on the whole story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man that Jesus called down from the sycamore tree to come and, and follow him, and it changed his life. 
Jesus is explaining, this is what I'm all about, seeking and saving the lost. Immediately following this verse, he then begins to deal with stewardship. So when it comes to being good stewards of our time, our talent, and our resources, then we want to realize that good stewardship is in the context of us reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about bringing glory to God, giving everything that we have and all that we are to be expendable for his purposes, his kingdom purpose, and that's seeking and saving the law. So there's three keys in this text to understanding what it means to be a good steward. What is this thing called stewardship all about? The first one is this. It's the responsibility of a steward that is magnified by a king's coronation. The responsibility of a steward is magnified by a king's coronation. What do we mean by that? Well, when you go back to verses 11 and 12, it says, as they heard these things, he began to speak a parable. What things were they hearing? The story of Zacchaeus, they had experienced that, and they had heard his teaching that he was all about seeking and saving the lost. His kingdom was not yet coming in full manifestation, but his kingdom was being established in the hearts and lives of men, women, boys, and girls who were accepting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's how the kingdom was beginning to be advanced, and that's how it's still being advanced today. But he was nearing Jerusalem, and they thought, verse 11 says, that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. There is an already not yet aspect to the kingdom of God. When you hear Theologians and pastors talk about the kingdom of God. What are they talking about? Well, the not yet aspect is the fact that Jesus is one day coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords. But the Jews at this point did not realize that the already aspect had to do with Jesus going to a cross. They didn't perceive the cross. They didn't understand the cross. They thought that the kingdom was... As, as this one they believed to be the Messiah was approaching Jerusalem, then, then perhaps this was the time not for him to go to the cross, but for him to overthrow the government with all of his supernatural power that they had observed, and for him to set up the kingdom of God on earth in, in a way very similar to what we read about concerning the millennial reign of Christ when Jesus comes again to establish his kingdom literally, visibly on this earth. They were thinking the consummation of the ages was going to take place at that very moment. There are still some folks today that we call post-millennialists that believe that that's still the way it's going to happen, that, that Jesus will establish his kingdom even before uh, a, a tribulational period or anything like that. He's coming back. He's going to establish his kingdom in this world. And they miss out on the fact that we are looking for right now the next event is the rapture of the church where he takes us out of this world and then comes back to establish his kingdom. They thought this kingdom was so imminent that last week we saw that the the mother of James and John was already jockeying for position for the kingdom, wasn't she? She wanted James and John to be on the right and left hand of Jesus in this kingdom. And so they didn't understand what was going on concerning the whole coronation of Christ as king and, and the timing of all of that. They didn't understand that there would be this period that is known as the church age, that after the crucifixion of Christ and after his resurrection, that it wouldn't be the full manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth, 
but it, that, that it would be the kingdom of God advancing in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls who receive Christ as Lord and Savior. There was still a long journey ahead. And so he's describing this fact that this nobleman would go into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. There was journeying to do. They were, they were becoming citizens of the kingdom, but they were not going to be home anytime soon. Just as the Bible in the book of Ephesus says that those of us who are believers, we are already citizens of the saints. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are part of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is advancing in hearts and lives of those who have trusted and followed Jesus. But we're not there yet. We're journeying. And see, where does stewardship come into play and all that? Well, let me tell you a little story about an explorer by the name of Samuel Hearn who set out to find the mouth of the Coppersmith River. He would eventually find the mouth of that river. There are beautiful paintings of when they first found that. The, the, the Coppersmith River opens up in, into the, a gulf in the Arctic Ocean there. What's interesting is that gulf is called Coronation Gulf. But early in their trip, when they were exploring this untouched region, they were robbed by some Native Americans. They... Their lives were spared, but they lost a lot of those things that they were carrying along with them during the journey. And you would have thought that that would have caused them to turn around and go back, but here's what Samuel Hearn wrote in his notes about this robbery that had taken place. He said, the weight of our baggage being so much lightened, our next day's journey was more swift and pleasant. The weight of our baggage being so much lightened, our next day's journey was more swift and pleasant. I want you to think about this, church, as as we consider the responsibility of being a steward that's being magnified by the fact Jesus is, is coronated as king. He is crowned as king of kings and lord of lords. As we journey through this age called the church age, until Christ calls us home. Are we trying to pack so much in our budgets? Are we trying to pack so much in our time? Are we trying to pack so much in our responsibilities that we've got all of this going on, but we're so weighed down by life? Are we trying to pack in so much recreation, trying to get our kids involved in so many extracurricular activities that we have forgotten to travel lightly so we can be available and expendable to do more for the kingdom of God. I believe that now more than ever, we are failing to travel lightly. We're failing to travel lightly. We forget that the kingdom of heaven, and listen, I love the United States of America. I'm proud to be a citizen of this. I think it's the greatest nation on the face of the earth. But God's ultimate goal in life is not for me to live out the American dream, but to live out the kingdom vision. It's the kingdom vision. It's a vision for influence and impact for the kingdom of God so that God can use those things he blesses me with to lead others to know, love, and serve him. It was common, you you see verse 12 there, where the, the king is going away to receive this kingdom. It was common for the Herods of that day in Israel to go to Rome where they would be named and be crowned a king 
even though they had already been given charge of a kingdom. They had been already placed in charge of that kingdom, but they would go to Rome, they would make it official, and while they were away, they would put subjects in charge of various things. And that's what this king does in this particular parable. In other words, Jesus was saying, I already have the authority. And after the resurrection of Christ, he explained to Peter and the other apostles that all authority in heaven and on earth had already been given unto him. But he was going to go away and receive this kingdom. He would be seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly kingdom. But all authority was being passed on to the subjects, to the disciples, who would make disciples, who would make disciples, the keys to the kingdom. In Philippians chapter 2 and 11, we're told, though, that one day every knee will bow, and one day every tongue will confess. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, everybody who has lived and is living will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16, at the end of that tribulation period, after the church has been raptured, once Israel's final week of history is completed, the church The bride of Christ will return with Christ, and he will be given a name, Revelation says, that is called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so that day, that consummation of the ages, he's already been given the authority. He's already been given the subjects. That's me and you and all of his disciples. But one day there will be the returning of that king. And when he comes back, he will hold us accountable for what we did with what he gave us. So until then, until he returns, he is the king of hearts, you might say. My heart and your heart. And that's where stewardship begins, with me giving myself fully to the king of kings. Because of his coronation, I have greatly increased my understanding of responsibility. I've got an answer to the king. Secondly, I want you to see that the risk of of a steward is minimized by the king's command. The risk of a steward is minimized by the king's command. We all hate risk, don't we? Well, not everyone. Some of us are a little more risky than others. In verse 13, we see that this king calls his servants. He delivered them the ten minas, each one receiving one mina. And he said to them, do business till I come. Keep in mind that the king himself gave them what they had and then told them to do business until he returns. James chapter 1 and verse 17, something every one of us should keep in mind when we think about all that God has blessed us with. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Every good thing that we have comes from God. And everything that God has blessed us with, we're to use for his glory. So we should constantly ask him the question, God, how do you want to use what you've blessed me with? How can I be a blessing to others? Now, of course, two of these subjects invested it, and they received a return, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But one did nothing for the fear of risk. And I believe in the kingdom of God, sometimes we forgot who gave us what we have and what he's told us to do with it, so we get so fearful of risking using it for the glory of God. The story is told a little bit different from Matthew's perspective, and I believe it's two different parables. As a matter of fact, I enjoyed our our men's 
uh, fellowship the other week, and uh, Coach Irwin over here talked about the, the talents, the parable of the talents. Some say that Luke and Matthew are, are, are kind of contradicting one another a little bit, but I believe Jesus probably told a lot more because John said that if, if they had recorded everything that Jesus ever said, that all of the volumes in the world would not be able to contain it. So I believe that Jesus probably talked about parables like this on many occasions, and we have Matthew's account, we have Luke's account. But in Matthew's account, there's kind of an extravagant, extravagant amount that's given. Here in Luke's account, it's just a common amount. It's a common amount. Some of us would not consider three months' wages a common amount, but this would have been about three months' salary for someone just barely living above the level of poverty, which was very common in this day and time. I believe what he's trying to explain to us is we need to be faithful with the common things. We need to be faithful in, in, in what we do with those things that God just puts in the, the hands and the hearts and the lives of everybody. See, see the third steward, what did he do wrong? He, he held on to it. He received his mina, and it says in verse 20 that he, he kind of wrapped it up in a handkerchief. He, he kind of hid it away. He tucked it away so that it would not be lost. And that reminds us of another principle in Scripture. Faithful stewardship, faithful stewardship is not giving the most but holding on to the least. It's not giving the most, but it's holding on to the least. It's saying, you know what, God, everything I have is yours. I'm just a manager. I'm just a steward. Everything I have, my gifts, my talents, my resources, God, everything I have is yours. You've just called me to manage those things for your glory. And that takes away the risk factor. How many of you have ever said, like me before, when your car breaks down, Lord, your car's broke down? <laughs> Guess you've got to figure out what you're going to do about that. It's, it's when you give everything to Him to be used for His glory. See, see there's a bigger danger than taking a risk with those things God's blessed you with. The bigger danger is losing it because you didn't use it. Bigger danger is losing what you have been blessed with because you try to hold on to it too tightly. Look at verses 21 through 23. He says, For I feared you're an austere man. And he said to him, this is verse 22. By the way, this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek. It's hard for us to see it in the English language. But out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man. It's as if he's saying, Really? You, you really thought that I was, you, you really thought I would punish you for doing what I asked you to do? That's what the Lord is trying to communicate here. Collecting what I did not deposit and, and reaping what I did not sow, then why didn't you at least put it in the bank and earn some interest? You did nothing with it. You didn't invest anything that I blessed you with for the kingdom. Let me ask you a question. How many of you uh, like to go sit in on those? Uh, those uh, timeshare sales. Anybody like to do that? Most of us don't like to do that, do we? we Tina and I figured this out when we were living in, in Wilmington, North Carolina. And uh, because I, I, I can, I don't have a hard time saying no to these folks, but I said, you know, in, when you live in a coastal community like Wilmington, there's timeshares and people selling timeshares and, and all that kind of thing. And, and we had, you know, we're newlyweds, we're scraping by and we're, we're thinking, wow, they're going to give us a really nice gift certificate to a really nice restaurant if we go sit and listen to their sales pitch for one hour, one hour. 
And so, you know, we practiced at a time. We're going to say no, we're going to say no, we're going to say no. And then we're going to get our gift certificate and we're going to leave. I'm going to explain to them why I don't need a timeshare and, and all of that sort of thing. And by the way, we were, we were very successful. We've done that a couple times, enjoyed the meal, had no intention of buying a timeshare. And uh, we'll take the free gift and move along, you know. So not all of you have that strength. Not all of you have that willpower. But you say, well, why do we hate the idea of a timeshare? I'll tell you why most of us hate the idea of that, because it's a use it or lose it approach. And we're scared to death that if we have that blessing in our hands that we're not going to use it and we're, we're going to lose it. And so many things in the kingdom of God are like that. It's, it's a use it or lose it. I mean, even our, our physical life, you realize if we don't use our brains, the brain begins to die. It's a use it or lose it. Some of you middle schoolers think about that. It's too hard. Use it or lose it. If we do not use our muscles, as I found out trying to play basketball down here the other night with a torn ACL, if we don't use our muscles, we lose our muscles. And so many other things God has blessed us with in life, it's a use it or lose it approach. It's, it's, it's all wrapped up in this thing called, not the handkerchief here, but, but the enchantment of security. Well, I'm, I'm just at a place in my life where I'm kind of secure. Use it for the glory of God or lose it. And it's more than money that we're talking about when we, when we look at these minus here. Certainly Malachi chapter 3 gives us a strong reminder that those who were blessed materially, who were not bringing their best to God, God held them accountable. God held them responsible for that. He says, you have robbed me of your tithes and offerings. So certainly it has to do with financial and material blessings. But what about your home? I realize that's a material blessing, but have you said, my house is your house, God? Mikasa sukasa, right? And so use it for your glory. I have to be reminded of that when Karis wants to have eight or ten teenage girls over at the house. Well, it's God's house, right? Let it be used for his glory. What about your vehicles? Are you able to say when they break down, God, I gave this car to you. Um, I trust that you're going to provide the resources. What about your computer? When you're using your handheld devices, young people, and when you're Snapchatting and texting and all that, you say, this is God's property, and so I'm not going to allow anything on it that God would disapprove of because this is this is God's computer. This is God's, I almost said Palm Pilot. We were talking about Palm Pilots this morning. That's like a, kids are going, what's a Palm Pilot? That's an artifact. But your smartphone or dumb phone, if you have one, you know, it, does that belong to God? Conversations, what about your television set? That belongs to God so that what comes through the house will be pleasing to him. That's stewardship. You can use tools like that. I realize that as long as you're at least 13 years old and have your parents' permission, you can be involved in all kinds of social media. But do you say this Facebook page is God's page and what's put on here will be to bring glory to him? What about human resources? Well, I don't have a lot of human resources. I'm not in management and I do not own a business. Well, Psalm 127 verse 3 says, children are a heritage from the Lord. The, the fruit of the womb is his reward. Have you parents given your kids to God? I would encourage you to do that, not only very uh, spiritually and when you have prayer with them at night and in the mornings that you give them to God and trust God with them. And when they say, mom, dad, I want to go on this mission trip, that you say, you know what? You belong to God. 
I want you to be used for God's glory. I, I used to be amazed, Pastor Ben, how many kids would say, but, but I can't afford to do this ministry opportunity. And the next thing I knew, they were coming up with 60 and $70 to go to a Garth Brooks concert. Now, I realize nobody remembers who Garth Brooks is anymore, but they could come up with all kinds of funds to go to football camp, but they couldn't come up with funds to go on a mission trip. Have you given your kids to God to be used for his glory? Or are you holding on too tight? Listen, I realize that a lot of folks, like when pastor said that we, we live in a culture nowadays where we lock up our dogs at night and turn our kids loose to run wild, but there's another extreme to that too. And that's where we hold so tightly to our children rather than giving them to the Lord and trusting God with them. We, so, we, we hold so tightly. And I'll tell you, every case I know of over-controlling parents, the kids rebel against that. So isn't it better just to go ahead and put your children in God's hands? So, so do that spiritually, but I want to encourage you also do that ceremonially. Uh, this Mother's Day or uh, any other Sunday that works for you, take part in a baby dedication service. A baby dedication doesn't save the soul of the child. It might lead to their salvation, though, when mom and dad let go. But, but give your children, if you haven't done that ceremonially, it may, they may be 9 or 10 years old, but if you haven't done that ceremonially, do that for accountability's sake. Say, hey, I'm giving my children to the Lord to be used for his purposes. And I trust that he'll save them in his time for his purposes. What about your time? Your, the way you use your time. You're a steward of your time. That reflects your commitments. Well, I don't have any time, Pastor. Listen, every one of us in here have the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours a day. We all have seven days a week. We all have 365 days a year. We all get an extra day during leap year. We all have the same amount of time. It's not a time. I read this this past week. It's not a time management issue. It's a commitment issue. So let's be good stewards of our time and use it for God's glory. And then next week, we're going to look at spiritual gifts. What are you doing with your spiritual gifts? Those, those talents and supernatural abilities that God has blessed you with. Do you see those spiritual gifts as from him to be used for him and used for reaching the lost? You risk losing it if you don't use it. Matthew 6, 19 and following, do not lay up. For yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Randy Alcorn says it this way. If you can't take it with you, why not send it on ahead? If you can't take it with you, why not send it on ahead? Invest in the kingdom of God. And then you'll see number three, the third principle, the reward of a steward is multiplied by the king's confidence. The reward of a steward is multiplied by the king's confidence. Now, I want to make one thing clear. The king himself, King Jesus, is sovereign over this whole process. So I can't tell you that as you give of tithes and offerings and other resources, that God absolutely positively is going to make you the wealthiest person in the land, but he might. But I will say there will always be more than enough when we give what we have to him. I've seen God answer prayers in so many ways when we commit to just be faithful stewards. So you go back to verse 15, what happens here with these faithful stewards? Even so, when he returned, 
Having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom had been given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. So the first one said, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little. Have authority over ten cities. So it went from one mina, which earned ten minas, to ten cities now that he is steward of and responsible for. The second, your mina has earned five. Verse 19, likewise, you also be over five cities. The original amount that God gave each one of these was his sovereign act of grace in their lives. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. He just, he chose 10 subjects, 10 servants, and he gave them a mina. He blessed them with something, and that was just an act of grace. But then the king observes what they do with it. And after observing what they do with it, there's a little bit of confidence, okay, I can trust that this this is going to happen in your life when I make you steward, so I'm going to bless you with more of this. Or I'm going to bless you with more of that. And, And as a matter of fact, I'm going to make you a channel of blessing as a result of this. God will allow you to be a channel of blessing even for those who failed to seize the opportunity. God will allow you to pick up the ball when somebody else drops it. You ever been watching a a football game and somebody's carrying the ball who gets to carry the ball a lot and they drop the ball, they fumble it, and when they drop the ball, maybe the most unlikely of heroes on the same team picks up the ball and runs for a touchdown, and he's excited, he celebrates. Listen, sometimes it happens that way in ministry and in kingdom vision where God says, listen, somebody over here is dropping the ball, but because you've been faithful, I'm going to let you pick that ball up and run with it, and you'll have an opportunity that they missed out on. I believe God would even say to Trinity Baptist Church today that he wants to reach our county and our state, our nation, our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he would say, there are many churches dropping the ball, but if you'll pick up the ball and run with it, then I'll give you greater opportunities and greater areas of stewardship. I will answer that prayer of Jabez and expand your borders. But I also believe that he says, Trinity, if you drop the ball, then I'll find somebody else who will pick it up. I'll find somebody who will plant a church right next to you and they'll reach the county for Christ if you're not going to. See, that's a faithful steward says, I take seriously this responsibility and I see that the reward is going to be multiplied by the king's confidence when I've been faithful in a few things. God is looking for faithful men, women, and young people to bless, to be a channel of his grace because they're good stewards. Some... He's going to entrust with great riches. Some he's going to entrust with an anointing on their talents because they're using what they've been giving. Some he's going to give unbelievably sharp minds. Now, somebody just elbowed their spouse, said, That's not you, right? But God's going, because you use your mind for his glory, he's going to bless some with unbelievably sharp minds. Some, he's going to open doors of ministry opportunity that you never dreamed he would open. Some, he's going to give the gift of great influence. 
And I've seen it happen with people young and old. I've seen some of our teenagers, and I'm amazed that in their schools and in their community, how much influence God has blessed them with. And he's waiting to see, are they going to use it for my glory? Because if they use it for my glory, I'm going to give them even more influence. That influence may be in the church. That influence may be in the political realm It may be as a Christian, you're influencing your state, your nation, and your world like you never dreamed. But it will begin because you're faithful in your workplace, you're faithful in your school, using your influence that God has blessed you with to bring glory to him. You are a steward of that influence. He's waiting to see if you'll be faithful with what you have. It's what Luke described in in chapter 6 and verse 38 what I call the the law of reciprocity. It's where he turns the fraction upside down. Some of our math students know I'm talking about a reciprocal. (laughs) When when he turns a fraction upside down, what does he say in, in Luke? He says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. In other words, in those areas where God has sovereignly chosen to bless you, you use that for his glory, and he says, you know what? You're going to be even greater channel of blessing. I'm going to bless you with more because I trust you use it for his glory. And by the way, it's not for us to be jealous of how God sovereignly does that, about how God blesses different people in different ways. It's for us all to say, how is God blessing me, and how can I be a channel of his grace and his blessing to invest in the kingdom? We're all good stewards. What did Jesus have to offer? He offered everything that he had, even his life. Jesus gave his life on a cross for me and for you. And he says, I want you to give yourself back to me fully expendable. Stewardship is not just managing your finances well. That's a big part of it. Stewardship is Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul says, I urge you by the mercies of God to give your bodies, to give your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to me. This is your reasonable act of worship, your reasonable response to all that I've given to you. The fact that I died for you, I'm asking you to live holy for me. That's stewardship, stewardship of your very life. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is he blessing you? And how will you use it for his glory. How will you use it? Back to our context, how will you use it to seek and save the lost? Would you bow your heads with me?